Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. That's all this quote. I love it. It says, motivation runs out, discipline lasts forever. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Yes, indeed, ladies and gents. It's another episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. This is your host, Ryan Warner. I will say that I'm still in San Diego for this work event. And so forgive the background noise. My guest today is the great Gabe Dean, two-time national champ for Cornell. And he never finished lower than third at the NCAAs, which is unreal. And his freshman year, he had a marquee win against Ed Ruth, which kind of put him on the national scene. And from there, the rest is history. Now he's an assistant coach. And this is an outstanding conversation. I really, really enjoyed it, and I know you will as well. Two quick announcements. The first is our online store, our merch, if you will, is going to be going live in the next week or two. We're building the, uh, the Shopify store as we speak. We're going to have all kinds of cool things. Hoodies, t-shirts, coffee mugs, stickers, you name it. And the second is it's Fan of the Week time. And this one goes to Canon Store. He's a wrestler for the Michigan Wolverines NCAA qualifier. Thank you for tuning in, my friend. Tell Coach Borme he's the man. And that's it. Let's give it up for Gabe Dean. Gabe Dean, welcome to the podcast, my friend. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Outstanding. It's 7 a.m. in Chicago, and there's snow on the ground right now, man. <laughs> it's here, man. It, it, you know, it's crazy. I think it goes faster and faster every year. So seriously, you're uh, you're from Michigan, so you know what those long winters are like. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I do. I, uh, but you know what? I always say, like, I've always want snow on Christmas morning when I wake up. But pretty much after that, I'm good. It can go away. So, dude, Ithaca, they gotta yeah. have a lot of snow out there, though. I'm guessing. You know, we get a bad rap, but at the same time, it's not really different than where I grew up in West Michigan. So I'm like, you know, if, you, if you're from the Midwest or you're from the East Coast, obviously, uh, I don't think it's that bad. Um, it's when the kids from California, you know, get out here and <laughs> they, they experience it for the first time. And they look at it like it's like alien type powder, you know, when they first see it. So I, uh, it's actually been kind of funny a couple of times California guys on my team. Dude, what did Travis Lee think when he got out there? You know, if I was old enough to tell you what he thought, <laughs> I would. <laughs> That's a shot. Uh, yeah, no, but I, um, I, yeah, he's a little bit before my time. All I've heard about Travis Lee is that he was just the baddest dude, like in terms of like just the toughest guy ever. So I'm sure he 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 was okay, but uh, I mean. I'm sure any anybody from the West Coast, you know, the couple times I've experienced, they've been blown away by it. It's been fun. Yeah, that's that's my first oh. memory of Cornell wrestling is Travis Lee. I remember watching him, and I must have been in middle school when he won, and I was like, man, that's so cool. The guy went from Hawaii to uh, to New York, and that kind of put Cornell wrestling. Was he the first one to put them on the map? Yeah, well, yeah, he's kind of the one that gets credit for like you know putting Cornell as a brand, you know, getting, getting them, getting us on the map. And then, you know, it kind of took off from there, uh, and just kind of steamrolled, you know, Troy Nickerson and, uh, Jordan Lean and Jake and Bozak and Simon. And, you know, he started having all these national champs and all Americans. And, 
but it's just crazy that kid from Hawaii, you know, he's talking about not knowing what snow's like, you know. Seriously. <laughs> and Hawaii, and he, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, he was the first one to get it rolling. I know Coach Cole had a national champion. Coach Cole's first national champion was David Hirsch, um, Dr. Hirsch, who, uh, back in 1994 but uh travis lee was kind of the first one to like really pop the brand right out there and get things get things rolling yeah of the new era and you know long before all that happened you were uh you were growing up in western michigan your dad was a was a d1 coach and you know former runner-up at minnesota just take us back to your childhood man where did it all start for you and what was it like growing up in a household where your your dad was a, a big time college wrestling coach so we, uh, you know, I was born in East Lansing where Michigan State, he coached at Michigan State. Um, he, he accepted an assistant coaching position at Michigan State. He was, um, he was making $7,000 a year. We lived in married housing, and he was like, he was delivering tacos and working at a factory on the side for oh. me and my mom. So me and my mom could eat. Um, I was not planned. Uh, I came at the wrong time from what I've been told. So, uh, you know, we, but they, you know, they made it through and you know, I grew up in the wrestling environment. You know, the guys that I looked up to, um, were wrestlers and they were the Michigan state guys and, and you know, they were really, they were so great to me. Uh, growing up in a wrestling room, um, is a pretty neat experience. You know, I, I, I see these little guys now, you know, coach Gray just had, had a son and, um, you know, Kyle Dake just had a baby girl and, you know, I see these little guys and they're coming up and they're crawling around on the mats or they're, you know, you know, Declan, Coach Gray's son can run now. And, uh, it's kind of how me and my, you know, me and my brother started. And, you know, when we were, we were growing up, like I said, the guys were the guys that we looked up to. And I just remember stories like, I remember when I got to be like six, seven years old, I really wanted a dog, but my mom wouldn't let me get a dog. She told me, you know, yeah, if you can pay for it, you can get it. And sure enough, the guys got a hold of that information on the team, and they started like, sh- you know, giving me a dollar. You know, they'd like, and I'd just <laughs> save it. You know, and then, and eventually, I had enough money to buy a puppy, and my mom was like, "Oh my gosh!" But you know, she honored her word, and then I got a dog. So, I, uh, you know, and then they took me on the bus trips. Um, my dad would bring me on the trips, and then he'd bring my brother too. After you know, he was old enough. And I remember I always wanted to look like my dad. My dad wore a suit um, when you go on these trips. So I had a little suit that I wore with a little clip-on tie. And uh, I'd, get on, I'd get on these trips. Well, my dad would speak. And I was like, well, that, that's really cool. Like, I, I, I want to, I, I should say something too. So I, I guess from what I've heard is after he would speak, I'd say, hey, I have something to say. Uh, so I would address the team, you know, before we got on the road and, uh, you know, just stuff like that, uh, where I, you look back now and you're like, you know, those are really precious memories. Um, and you know, I learned a lot. I learned how to play Euchre, you know, I learned how to play card games. Yeah. Euchre and poker and, um, all that stuff on the bus, those bus trips. And I probably learned some stuff I shouldn't have learned too. Um, (laughs) so (laughs) I, uh, you know, being around a bunch of college guys, but I, uh, you know, I see those guys now still, you know, it's, uh, I, I bump into Pat McNamara, you know, he brought us two little boys to one of my camps this summer. Um, you know, I see Arson Alexander, you know, I, I see some of these guys, um, and it just blows me away. And I know it blows them away because uh, <laughs> I can barely walk. And, uh, it's just, uh, it's pretty neat. That's a, that's a cool story about the, about the speech afterwards, I mean, you can just imagine you're on the bus sucking a lot of weight as a college guy, and then the coach's son wants to give up and give a <laughs> a, a, a speech to kick off the road trip. Wants to address the team, yeah, you know, the, the little <laughs> five, six-year-old, seven-year-old kid wants to get up and, and address the team. I can't imagine what I, what I was saying. Um, I know I addressed <laughs> a, one, year, one, year at the, one year at the banquet. At a, I know I at the banquet I, I addressed the I, I I gave a speech at one of the banquets. <laughs> um, I can't imagine what that content was like. I don't know if it had anything to do with wrestling or not, but you know I just saw my dad do it, so 
Man. It was something I had to do. <laughs> I wonder, yeah, I wonder where you were veering on that thing. You must have been all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I yeah, I don't think it was very structured. I don't think it was probably uh the most inspiring or anything like that, but I'm sure it got uh, made everybody kinda of laugh. So Oh for sure. I, uh, yeah, I hope it wasn't too bad. <laughs> so with uh with that kind of background, I'm surprised you gravitated more towards football. Um and I know you had a really big high school career as a quarterback. So like when did you kind of move into football versus wrestling as your as your main sport? So, you know, growing up on the wrestling side, you know, my 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 parents raised, you know, call me biased, but my parents raised me and Max and my sister wonderfully. You know, they, um, you know, I see it a lot now where I, I'm at youth wrestling tournaments and I'm, I travel and I see some of the parents and I see, you know, how much pressure they put on their kids to, to win and you know, the true value of sports is not about winning and losing. It's about the lessons that we learn along the way, you know, accountability, you know, unselfishness, work ethic, all these different things that, you know, make make you into who you are. And sports really make you face those different character traits in yourself along the way because they provide that foundation of adversity. So um, when I see this, I, and it makes me sad because there's so much ego and narcissism involved. Um where they're missing out on the big point. So to my parents, you know, credit, they they always made it about whatever we wanted to do. And when I was a youth wrestler, you know, and I don't know if you've heard the story, I'm sure you have, but like the first time I wrestled, I got like headlocked and pinned by a girl and I acted like I was paralyzed on the mat. You know, I, I was screaming out of I, I screamed, I couldn't feel my, my legs and I was army crawling around the mat, you know, that and my my you know, my dad had to walk out of the gym so he he wouldn't make a scene because it's not a very proud moment as a father, believe it or not. That's a low. Son. That's rock bottom as a dad. That's rock bottom. Not, as yeah, a dad. yeah. And you know, to his credit, you know, a lot of dads probably grab their son and you know pick him up and you know take him out and beat him after that. But I, you know, he just walked out and you know my mom, you know, when she told me the ambulance was coming, I could start to feel my legs again. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know. Actually, the whole point of the story is like I overcame paralysis. At uh, age nine, to you know, get to where I am now. <laughs> uh, but no, like it, that was a moment that was a defining moment in our relationship. My dad always wanted to be my dad first. Um, so when we were growing up, and like my youth wrestling career is nothing to brag about. I probably was. I don't think I really even won anything until I got to about my eighth grade, ninth grade year. And even then, you know, I, I, I went 0-2 at the Michigan State Tournament. I got, uh, you know, teched and beat out um, as a freshman. And I just always naturally, football just seemed like something I was always better at. And when you're a kid, you know, you always, you, you, you gravitate towards the things that you're good at. Um, were you all and, into wrestling, though, or were you doing it because your dad was a coach and that was just like a fun thing to do? I was doing it because it was something that was... I. You know, I want. I'm a. I'm the firstborn. I'm the oldest, so I'm a huge pleaser. Same. And uh, I just, I knew that my dad loved wrestling. Um, I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted him to be happy. Uh, not that you know. That this is the way a little kid thinks. You know, he would have. If I would have quit or if I would have done wrestling, he he would have been proud of me and loved me. Not that I would have changed. Right. But in my mind, you know, it's something that you know I. My dad was a great wrestler, and you know this is something that I'm, I'm going to do. But I was also like going to be the next Brett Favre when I was growing up. So I uh, knew I was like, you know, wrestling will help me become a better football player. It'll make me tougher. So I uh, so when I got into you know when I got into high school, and I had the freshman year in wrestling that I did. You know, I, I barely made the varsity team. Um, we had a pretty good varsity team. My dad was the head coach. But right before that, we had moved to a town called Lowell from the east, you know, at, at when I was going into sixth grade, um, because my dad's brother, my uncle, was the head football coach and had built a really successful program on this west, uh, in the, at this small town in Michigan, you know, it's a 3,500 person town, but we'd have on average eight to 12,000 people at a Friday night game every night. And so my dad saw this unique opportunity where he's like, we can play, we can, because we, we all love, me and Max both played football growing up. So he's like, you guys can play football. 
for your uncle in a really successful program and chase after state championships. And you can wrestle, you know, under me, uh, and I can build the wrestling program at the school. And it already had a pretty good wrestling program, but I can build a wrestling program at the school and you guys can grow up, you know, doing what you love in a, in a great environment. And the, and the public school was, was, was good educational wise too. So when we got over to the west side of Michigan, I was in sixth grade, Max was in third grade. We grew up in the system. And then, but again, I, I just never had the success in wrestling. Like, I, I, I just wasn't as good. Um, and like I said, when you're young, you gravitate towards the things you're good at. Wrestling became this thing that was making me a better football player. I shared it with my brother and my dad. It was like kind of our little thing that we all did together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, and I, you know, obviously, want to make my my father proud and happy so um when i got in my freshman year and i i go on to the state tournament and just you know wrestling's just not working out for me that well i started to really push myself towards the football side and uh that's kind of how that's kind of why i thought i was going to be a football player obviously until i became uh became a senior but that's kind of how football that's a started. dream uh that's a dream situation though man you're you're the the top athlete at a school where everything revolves around sports your uncle's the coach your dad's the wrestling coach i mean that that had to be like a dream place to grow up and go to high school yeah it was a little surreal you know i see like the tv show like friday night lights and you know uh i saw the movie too and it's kind of like you know it's not as cheesy and dramatic as some of the things they're making it (laughs) in this movie but at the same time it's it it, it was kind of like that you know um our town lived and breathed football. And then by the time I got to high school, my dad had actually done a wonderful job of building the wrestling program. Um, I actually, my freshman year, our team won a state title in wrestling. Um, and I was on the team. Uh, I wasn't a huge contributing factor, but I was on the team. Uh, and, you know, sold out gyms and sold out stadiums, you know, growing up as a kid. I mean, that's a pretty neat experience. So I was very blessed to be a part of that. And, uh, around some really special young men that you know i learned from and and had great effect on me what's funny you say that like whoever's if you've grown up in a small town like you and i have you definitely want your kids to do that um just because this the experience is so special i mean you don't we never locked our doors everyone knew who we were it was a really communal thing but you know now in my 30s i don't know if i'd want to live there I, i like the the big city of chicago but you know eventually everyone has this like nostalgia of going back there because if you've grown up in that kind of environment where sports are king, and it doesn't matter if it's basketball or wrestling, if if you're good, they're going to come, and that's what it was like. Uh, sounds like what it was like for you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know absolutely. what's what's interesting is at a certain point in your high school career, you kind of stepped out of this bubble, if you will. You get down to Georgia Tech, and things take a things take a turn. Um, can you walk us through that story? Yeah, yeah. So my you know my sophomore year. And I'll rewind a little bit before then, just so I can, you know, mm-hmm. kind of uh, lay the foundation for this. Um, my sophomore year, uh, I got, I was going to play JV football. Um, I was a quarterback, and we're in practice, and we're doing a scrimmage. Uh, we're a week out from the first game. We're playing this team called Detroit Mumford, who is a um, really big, scary team. From the Detroit side, uh, a lot of good athletes. Um, not very organized, but a lot of good athletes. And we're playing this team, and um, we had a senior that was a really talented quarterback that was a, that was the starting quarterback on the varsity teams. And he breaks his collarbone. Um, you know, he gets hit out of bounds, and he breaks his collarbone. So all of a sudden, I was a starting quarterback <laughs> for game one against this team called Detroit Mumford. Well, my town, you know, if you don't, like I said, it kind of lives in breeze football. If you don't do well, you know, like, you know, people come riding outside your house, or at least <laughs> I, in my mind, you know, as a, as a, so I'm just, I'm a 15 year old, I'm 15 years old at the time. I am playing with the seniors and these guys, some of them going out to play college football, some of them, you know, I just, I'm, I'm petrified. And, um, you know, but we ended up, they were so good to me. And this is part of the things that you learn along the way. Like, you know, the leaders on that team, um, even now, you know, I try to emulate some of the things that I learned from some of these guys. You know, I was this young kid. They could have kicked me to the curb. They could have lost all their faith in me. Um, 
and you know what, they brought me up, and they built me up, and they, they gave me the confidence to, we went on a run, and we ended up winning the state title that year. And by the time that the senior quarterback had had uh, had recovered, we we were just grooving. So, um, you know, we only lost one game, 13-1, won a state title, and we just kind of were rolling. And then, the, and then the next year, we were in the state, we made the state championship game, and... Um, so, and I, we only lost like two games that year. So, I, my high school football career, I lost a combined total of five games. Um, but after that junior year, I made two state finals appearances. My junior year, I was, I had all these football accolades. You know, I, 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 I was, I was kind of one of the one of the few faces of football in the state of Michigan. And Georgia Tech uh, gave me a call, invited me down to a combine down there. So me and my dad um, piled into a 15-passenger church van. Don't ask me why. He bought this church van to haul wrestlers around. Um, (laughs) With with no no AC, in the middle of July, we drive down to Georgia Tech for this combine, uh, which is like 13, 14, 15-hour drive from... Mm-hmm. That happens to Atlanta. I can't. I couldn't tell you how exactly long it is, but it's long. And um, I was there for about twenty minutes. Uh, right when I walked in the head coach's office, I knew that they were like, "Oh, this this kid." Like I knew right away. The ne- there was so much negativity that came right when he saw me. How so? Um, so like you get there, you're thinking, "Hey." This is not the only chance, but this is a solid chance to get in front of some D1 coaches. And yeah, like, what was yeah. your expectation going into it? That you'd spend a couple of days well, there? Yeah, I they, they called me. They invited me down. They wanted to sit down and talk to me. They wanted to put me through a couple of drills. And right when I walked in, I could see that excitement kind of just drain right out of them. You know, it was like right when I walked in, they realized that I was 5'10". You know, they realized that I'm, I wasn't that big and... You know, I, I I wasn't built like your typical football player, um, and you can literally just see the excitement among him and a couple of his assistants just drain right out of him. But how could they not and, know that um, ahead of time? Didn't they look at the stuff, the details? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. The guys, five no, ten. They, they watch film. They watch film and everything. Um, maybe they 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 were wishful thinking or read a couple of newspapers that listen to me at six foot, you know, or, you know, cause that happened. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You know, but I don't know, but you know, even at, I was, uh, I was 17 at the time, even at 17 years old, I could tell, I could tell immediately, um, which. So what they say though, so you, get much, there, you can tell, and then you I go put on me through, they put me, yeah, yeah. They put me through two drills and then, they were like, okay, you know, you, you, you know, thanks for coming, Gabe. But, you know, you, you, they said, this is what they said. Thanks for coming, Gabe. Um, it's not personal. You're just not what we thought you were. Uh, heavy, so, heavy. pretty humbling experience. Yeah, <sighs> pretty humbling experience for a 17-year-old kid. Had dreams of playing football at the next level. And uh, climbing back in that 15-passenger beat-up church fan with your dad. I remember climbing back in, and I sat there for about two minutes. And my dad's a pretty—he's a pretty—he's not—he's not quiet, but he's—he's uh, he's the kind of guy that lets you come to him first, and then he starts to help you through things. So I said I was sitting there for like two minutes, and I kind of just was like, you know what? Screw this sport. I'm not going to be told whether I'm going to be great or not based upon my physical appearance. I. Uh, no one's going to control my destiny. I need to be accountable for everything that happens in my life. Whether I fail or I succeed, I want to be the one that's accountable to it. I don't want to rely on anybody else. And I was like, well, that's great. Now I'm going to wrestle because in wrestling, that's exactly what you get to do. And um, so I looked at my dad and I was like, hey, dad, I want to wrestle in college. Now, when I said that, keep in mind, I just won my first state title in Michigan which is four divisions. I barely won. I wasn't, I wasn't nationally ranked. I wasn't that great of a high school wrestler um, comparatively to these kids now that are just insanely you, good. Were you like a Fargo All-American um, or anything like that? I never went to Fargo one time. Okay. Um, 
I never wrestled in really any off-season tournaments. Uh, I played football during the springs and summers, and I've, I just wrestled during the wrestling season. You know, I maybe went to a couple tournaments here and there in the off-season, but I, I, I was I was doing seven on sevens, working on my quarterback skills. I was, like I said, I was I was going to be in my mind, I was going to be the next Brett Favre, and um, that moment changed everything. A life-changing moment. Looking back on it now. <laughs> um, uh, to, because of because of where we've where we've come you know, to this point. So, but at that time, were you getting looks from other D one programs, or is that really the only one in terms of football? Oh, you know, I had some walk on things from some. You know, Michigan State was kind of like, yeah, we performed a walk on, which kind of pissed me off. You know, and then you know, Michigan had visited, but nothing really came from that. And then you know, Central Michigan and East Michigan, so some smaller D one programs in the Michigan area. Um, a lot of D two and D three programs were pretty interested. Sure. Um, Dayton, Ohio, the D- D- Dayton, Ohio was was kind of interested, um, but nothing like nothing huge. And then and then the Georgia Tech thing just kind of sealed the deal for me. Man, isn't, like, isn't that crazy though? It's like it's something completely out of your control can, to your point, totally diminish where you go. I mean, maybe you could have gone on as like a cornerback or something, but like God knows what would have happened. And so you're in this van, really humbling moment. And you're, you've got to be like the town hero at this point, right? You've, you're the quarterback of the of the state championship team. Um, and so that had to be exciting for your dad because now you're going to get really deep into what he did because he got second in the country for Minnesota, you know, way back before they were a power. And so, uh, you know, what I found interesting about the story was that even though you won high, uh, high school state as a junior, when you doubled down and went into wrestling, you didn't win as a senior. Is that right? That's true. I uh, lost in the state finals my my senior year um, to this kid named Jordan Thomas. Uh, he ended up, you know, going to Michigan and didn't work out for him. You know, I think about he got two years in and it just didn't work out for him. But yeah, I, yep, I lost to him. And then you, so, uh, how'd you end up at Cornell? Because that's that's a pretty uh, um, pretty far drive. Yeah. So. The wrestling recruiting process was interesting as well because, like I said, I wasn't a big, I wasn't a blue chip recruit. Um, I was, Minnesota recruited me, but they pretty much recruited me because my dad um, and his history there. Yep. Um, Michigan State recruited me, but that was also because of my dad, because of his history there as a coach. Um, Michigan wanted me to be a preferred walk-on. Um, and, uh, I had a couple other schools reached out to me, like letter-wise, maybe a call. Um, but the biggest, the, the biggest school that showed the most interest, that put in the most time—not that that really mattered—but that just connected with my family, with and, and connected with me the, the the most by far was Cornell. Now. They figured out about me. My dad was down at the National Approaches Convention that they hold down in Florida every year. Um, my dad's pretty heavily involved in the wrestling world. So he runs a company called New Way. And uh, New Way is this huge governing national organization that runs all these big youth wrestling tournaments everywhere. And uh, he was down there. It's a great networking event for anybody that's involved in the sport. And Rob Cole was there, um, you know, speaking on the fundraising side for the coaches convention. Uh, they have him down every year and, you know, he's kind of a legend in our sport in terms of, uh, what he's been able to do here. And uh, if you've ever met Rob Cole, you never forget meeting Rob Cole. Um, so he was there and he, uh, he bumped into my dad and they wrestled around the same time. Rob wrestled for North Carolina. My dad wrestled for Minnesota, as you said. And, you know, Rob was like, so, you know, I heard your boy, you, you got you got a couple sons, I heard your oldest is going to play football, um, because it was kind of known, I guess, and my dad was like, no, actually, he just decided he wanted to wrestle. And Coach Cole was like, give me his number, and he called me two seconds after they had that conversation. Um, they came into a home visit with my family, him and Damian Hahn, uh, they did they just blew it out of the water. They were amazing. They were funny. They were genuine. They were enthusiastic. They, they just were an amazing, it seemed like an amazing place. And then when I went out on my official visit, I literally walked off 
a football field on Friday night, got in the back of my dad's car with my mom and my shoulder pads and everything, and we drove out to Ithaca. I had my official visit there, and I walked in on Sunday morning right before I went back to Michigan and walked into Coach Cole's office and was like, this is where I'm coming to school. <laughs> Man. I, uh, I didn't... Um, I didn't know, you know, what I was getting myself into in terms of, you know, I knew it was a national powerhouse. I knew this place was an amazing place, and I, I and I was looking around, and the, the facility is beautiful, and the, the the campus is breathtaking. Uh, I don't know if you have ever been to Ithaca. No. It's, everybody thinks New York, and it's New York City. Oh, like, you know, it sits up on this hill, overlooks this one of, one of the Finger Lakes region. It's you know, it's it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, it's the most beautiful college campus I've ever been on. Um, and then in the education and the wrestling experience together, the, all the opportunity that that brought, you know, my dad always told us since we were young that, you know, you want to go to a place that's going to provide you the most opportunities in your life. And it was an easy answer. You know, I was kind of interested in Michigan because they, they had a good, they, they have a great education and they had, um, you know, the wrestling and all, all the, all the intangibles were there. Um, intangibles but um you know we got the media on sunday morning and head coach at the time was like you know and rightfully so the kid that i lost to in the state finals was going there yeah um i was like hey we got the number one recruiting class in the country you know we'd like gabe to walk on here and it wasn't like a slap in the face we totally understood it but you know if i'm gonna walk out of michigan uh and pay, or Cornell ended up being cheaper financial aid wise because we don't we don't do athletic scholarships in the Ivy League. Oh, you and don't. Then I fell in love. With, no, no, we don't do athletic scholarships in the Ivy League. Wow, I knew you could register, uh, but yeah, it's all financial aid. It's all need based. It's all based on your parents' income. Okay. So, um, so when I got here, the team and the coaches and the, the school and the, just everything, it was just like. I, I, no brainer. I walked in the tomorrow on Sunday, I walked right in Coach Cole's office, and I'm like, this is where I'm coming to school. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been Man. history ever since. That drive back <laughs> on Sunday, you must have been just daydreaming about what it's going to be like to wrestle at Cornell. And, um, and so you end up getting there, and you take the gray shirt your first year there. And for people who don't know what that means, is since you can't redshirt in the Ivy League, you uh, essentially. You live in Ithaca, but you can't work out with the Cornell team. Are you taking classes as well? Yeah, so we, we pretty much do a gap here. We train in the Olympic Training Center here. And then we uh, we take a couple courses at the community college about 15 minutes away. Okay. That has to be a pretty lonely year, though, because you're not really involved with the team or with the school. I mean, I could be wrong on that, but what was that like to, to go do that so young? You know, you would think you would think that just on paper, but I had a bunch of kids doing that with me. Okay. Um, pretty much all of our incoming guys were doing that with me. Um, and we have a system here. It's like kind of like taking a prep year. You know, you go to like Blair or Wyoming Center and you do a prep year. Well, we have that same system in place, but you're training at the regional training center. But you do Olympic level athletes, you know, like Derek and Donnie and all these guys. And uh, at the time, it was Cam Simons and, and Kyle and Bozak. And you're also going, of course, to the community college, you know, getting some credits out of the way to transfer in. Um, and then, you know, Cam Simons had just graduated college, and he, you know, they, they hired him to be the coach for our group of guys. We had about eight, nine guys at the time. Um, it was one of the best recruiting classes in the country that I was coming in with. Uh, actually, I was one of our worst recruits on paper. Who were some of the guys in that <laughs> I, uh, class? Mark Gray, Brian Robito, Dylan Palacio, Steve Congeni, uh, Alex Cisneros, um, wow. you know, like um, Taylor Taylor Simons, uh, you know, like there there was there was just it was an, an abundance of talent. Um, Angelo Silvestro, another Illinois kid, oh, yeah. uh, he was in that class. So uh, yeah, I mean, I was one of the worst recruits in our class by far, and. Um, you know, it was, it was intimidating when I first got there, for sure. But guys at Cornell, if you've ever been around our team, you've ever been around our culture, it's uh, it's very family-oriented, you know. Um, 
the guys are friendly. They all come up to you, and even if they don't know who you are, they want you to feel comfortable. Um, that's kind of what we've, you know, that's what was instilled into the program, and now I'm on the coaching side. That's what we continue to try to instill in our guys. Great leadership always, and, you know, it was just, they they, they bring me in like family. So it was a little scary when I first got there, but, uh, you know, because I was around all these great wrestlers, and Cam Fymans was our coach. It was someone I really looked up to. He's a Michigan guy, national champ, four-time All-American at Cornell. Um, and uh, But there were just you know a lot of amazing role models around. Dude, so. was Dylan Palacio as as, uh, as crazy as he is now? And I mean crazy in the best possible way. I, I just watched a video. <laughs> no, no, I know. In a man thong in Venice Beach uh, wrestling I, some dude. I know. I know. So I get asked this question a lot because, you know, me and Dylan, we, we went through the whole thing together. You know, we went from beginning to end. Um, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's not but he, uh, <laughs> I will say this about him when you get him, you sit down in person with him and you're talking to him. One, he's extremely intelligent and two, he's very personable. Um, you know, I know he seems like, you know, this crazy dude when he's running around doing these videos and that kind of thing, um, which he'll probably end up being famous. I wouldn't surprise me one bit, but he, uh, He's also just a really, you know, when you're sitting there with him in person, he's a really nice kid, uh, and he means well. No, I'm sure, and I, so, I used to, before I knew about any of the, the, the social media stuff, I distinctly remember his interviews when he made the finals about how, like, like his self-belief and his visualization, and I'm, if anyone listens to this podcast, they know I'm obsessed with people's like mental routines and their mental reps and that kind of thing. And he was like kind of the first guy to really openly talk about that, that I can remember from that era. And so I, I just, that stuck in my mind. Um, and yeah, man, he's someone I, I'm, I'm fascinated with. Yeah. He's, he's a fascinating guy. Um, not a bad person. If you, if you get him on your podcast one day, yeah. um, I'm sure you'd have a really interesting conversation. So, um, Absolutely. So he's there when you get there. This this class of really solid guys is there. And then you kind of have this humbling experience early on at the, I don't want to say at the lowly Buffalo Open, but like it's not like a premier open tournament. It's not like the Midlands or something. <laughs> no, like that. we can be honest here. <laughs> so you go to the, bu- so you're, I mean, so you've pretty much been dedicating yourself to wrestling for about a year and a couple of months at this time. You get to this unbelievable school, one of the you know the top programs in the country for sure. Um, you got Damian Hahn, who's this like larger than life guy, just a stud of an athlete. Cam Simez, and then you you get to the Buffalo Open and you go zero and two. That had to be a a big turning point for you as well, kind of like the Georgia Tech thing. Yeah, so um, went to the Buffalo Open. And I go on to, and uh, leading up to this point, I've just been getting my my butt kicked by Cam Simons. Seems like every day. I think it was mostly every day. Um, Congeni got hurt towards ACL a couple weeks in, so I was the only big guy in the room. And, and Brian Robuto was small at the time. He wasn't a 74-pounder. He was a 57-pounder. And I was just taking the absolute worst beatings of my life um, <laughs> from Cam. You know, just, you know, he throw me into the bleachers and, you know, in the, the cardio bikes. And uh, he was choking me. I remember one time I was so tired. of Cam was with this really high pace and he was known for it, um, legendary for it. I was so tired. I'm laying on a mat and I, I don't even feel like I could move. And... I steal my shirt and my shirt was off at this point as well as my sock and one of my shoes because the ankle takes me so many times um, that my sock and shoe came off. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm laying there. I feel my shirt come around my neck and all of a sudden I'm choking. So I, I start freaking out. I jump up and I'm like, damn, what the hell? You know, like, why, why did you do that? And, like, he started choking me and he's like, see, you still have energy. And it's just like sick mind games like that. But I, uh, he was right. I mean, I, I thought I was dead and then all of a sudden my life was being threatened and I found the energy in me, but it was just that. <laughs> and we go to the first college open and I go on and two and I'm like, this is the first time I really had to confront, you know, as a young man, what my purpose was going to be in my life. Um, which I've come to find out your purpose changes over time. But 
it's the first time I really had to confront that because I was like, like, this is pointless. I, I'm getting my butt kicked. I not even winning. So I called my dad and I, I you know, dad, I'm going to walk on the football team at Cornell. This isn't for me. And he said something. It sticks to me with, with me to this day. Um, and I can't ever get it out of my head, especially when I'm in my low moments. And, uh, he said, son, I got a question for you. And I said, yeah, what is that? Dad? He's like, what, why, why, why do you wrestle? Why are you doing this? And I couldn't give him an answer right away. I couldn't give him a clear answer. And really in that moment, I realized that I wasn't attacking my life purposefully. I was working pretty hard. Um, and I was always a good kid. I knew to get good grades. I knew to go to practice. I, you know, I, I wasn't late. Or anything, and I, you know, I don't, I didn't party, and I, that's not kind of how that's this. I wasn't into any of that, and uh, but I, I wasn't attacking every day with uh, with a purpose, and that was the first time I had to confront that in my life. And once I figured that out, um, it changed who I was. It changed the 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 amount of work I put in my attention to detail, my, um, my resilience, um, because I always knew why I was doing what I was doing at that point. Even if I wasn't, you know, I didn't win an open my first year. I mean, we went and rest, I wrestled 74 matches my first year in college. And it's mostly because I lose first or second round in a tournament. And I'm talking like the Millersville open, the Binghamton open, like these opens, breaking big tournaments that we all went around to and wrestled in. And I'd wrestle eight matches there because I lose first, second round, and I wrestle all the way back and take fifth. I lose first, second round, and wrestle all the way back and take, you know, you know, third. But I never won a tournament. But I think with that foundation and that clarity, as I continue to improve my skill, set me up to the net following year when I came to Cornell to to have a pretty successful freshman campaign. To um, say the least, man. Which, to say the least. But. I love the clarity of purpose and that whole that whole concept because it, you know, everyone knows what the right thing is to do, but we're confronted with these little situations throughout the day. You know, should I have a kale shake or should I, you know, have a have a protein shake? Right when you know you should be having your greens or like there's all these little these all these little points throughout the day where you could do one thing versus the other, and even though you know what the right thing is, unless you know your why and it's really clear, it's kind of hard to make the right decision sometimes. It is. Um, it is. And it's that, you know, life is pretty simple. Uh, it's not a complicated uh, thing. Us as humans, we just make it complicated. And it, we make it complicated because there's so many different distractions that the world provides that try to pull us away from, you know, our values, our, you know, our character traits, our purpose, and all these things that make up who we are. Uh, that continue every day. Every day, you know, you're gonna they're gonna pull at you, and you have to have something deeper and bigger within you uh, that keeps you disciplined to, you know, your value system, the kind of person you are, and the kind of man you choose to be. And um, that was the first time in my life that I really had to confront that uh, because I, I grew up I grew up in a pretty middle class, upper class family. I never had anything that. I never had anything that I didn't need or I never had to really, you know, I, I learned a lot of lessons from sports as a young man through my years up to that point. But this is the first time I was out on my own. I was, you know, I was going home to my bedroom every night. And it was just me. You know, mom wasn't cooking dinners anymore. Uh, you know, dad wasn't there to put his arm around me in the tough times. And um, I had to really figure out, you know, what kind of man I was going to be. And it was the first big step in that direction. Well, it's like so. the guy at the Buffalo Open doesn't care who your mom or your dad is. Like you're just another kid out there, and you got to kind of make it on your own. But what I love is that you just dug in, man. I mean, seventy some matches is a redshirt freshman. That is unbelievable. I mean, I've never heard of someone wrestling that many matches in college before. Is that normal for the Cornell guys? <laughs> no, it's it's not. They just you know, luckily we've been have, having some better recruits than I was that ended up actually <laughs> winning these things and and, and making long runs instead of. You know, wrestling eight matches in a day because they lose first or second round and, and have to wrestle all the way back. So, 
Um, and then Cam took us to every tournament on the face of the earth, um, and we'd wrestle in it and compete in it. So uh, it just my my first year in college. I mean, it was a huge, huge stepping stone, and those stepping stones along the way. It wasn't just like I it just took that step, and then right. it's just been cruise sailing on cruise control ever since. Um, there's been uh, uh, some very prominent moments in my life from that point to now, and that was definitely like the first big, one of the first big ones, um, for sure. What would you say the next one was? It's probably after my freshman year. So my, my, the next one was, uh, you know, it's funny, like this is why I love sports is like our, the losses and adversity that sports bring, they kind of provide us the opportunity to take those stepping stones. It's just a matter of taking the step itself where people get caught up in. But, so after my first year in college, I took third in the country, and um, Jimmy Sheptak and Ed Ruth graduated. So I was coming back, and it was kind of like I'd won a national title, but I hadn't won a national title yet. And um, so I was the number one guy in the country, you know. And all of a sudden, you know, like I'm, I'm this guy that I had always worked to be, but I never knew if I'd ever get there. Um, so I go to this Las Vegas Open tournament and I lost two matches in the same day and I was wrestling tight the whole tournament. And my whole sophomore year was kind of that way. I didn't really confront the issue until right after I was driving home for spring break. I was in my car. I was in the middle of Canada. I actually remember. And I, I, I actually found a way to win a national title my sophomore year. But I don't think I was clear. I, I, again, I think I was, it was another big stepping stone for me. My freshman year, there's no expectation, you know, when you're a freshman, you're just wrestling and you're out there and you're grinding and, you know, whether you win or lose, it doesn't matter. But then once, once you become this guy that's supposed to be all-world beater, nobody is going to touch him again in his college career, and you, sit, you start to get caught up in an expectation rather than living to a standard um, than what society puts on you, things get things go pretty south pretty quickly. Uh, and this whole, my whole sophomore year, like I said, I won a national title, but it was the longest, most stressful year of my life because I was, I was living to the expectation of what society put on me. And I wasn't living to the standard with, I held, which, which I held myself. And, um, when I, I just remember thinking when I was driving back, I was happy I won a national title. If you go back and watch my sophomore year in the national tournament, I won every match pretty much by one point. Um, and I wrestled extremely tight. But I was driving back, and I just remember thinking, I don't care if I win another wrestling match in my life. I'm just I'm not doing it the way that I did it this past year. And I think that freed me up to just wrestle with a lot less fear um, remind myself that I hold myself to a standard and my purpose rather than living to what the expectations of what society put on me, who cared about rankings, who cared about, you know, I was supposed to be this and I'm that and I'm this and I'm that. doesn't matter. And uh, my junior year flew by um, because I was much, again, I took another step and becoming the man that, you know, I, I wanted to be. And thank God for wrestling, because you know, it, it, it made me take those steps along the way. Man, it's like just so. a, it's just a trajectory of growth. And there's, you know, every time you think you've reached maybe a, a place where you can breathe a little bit, then you then you kind of come back your, you know, your sophomore year or, or excuse me, your freshman year, and then you get pinned by Ed Ruth, and you beat Ed Ruth, and that's another level you've jumped. And then you, you know, you get to the national tournament, you get third, and then, yeah, as you said, you won as a sophomore. And then you kind of had this realization. And that was one thing I was really intrigued by because I love the details of preparation. And I'm obsessed with John. I say obsessed all the time, but I, I just follow all these guys who I think are fascinating. And John Wooden is one of one of them. And he was known for not even knowing sometimes what the score at the end of the game was because he knew that if they prepared the right way, it would take care of itself. Um and yeah. so that seems like that was your mentality going into your, your junior and senior years. It was, because that was something I could control. You know, I was trying to find, <clears throat> when I was focused on what society brought, I was trying to find all this external motivation 
and being the best guy in the country, and that's what fueled me, and the attention and the glory and all these kind of things that came with, you know, that's what that's what I was that's what I was trying to fuel me, and I was, I found that that's not that will run out. I saw this quote. I love it. It says, "Motivation runs out, discipline lasts forever," and that is a hundred percent true. You know, when you watch Rocky, you after the movie, you're like, "All right, ready to run through a wall." You know, I'm so fired up. <laughs> But then the next day you wake up and that's worn off and you still got to find a way how to run through that wall. And the way that you do is has nothing to do with getting pumped up with some of the music and all these kind of different things. It's taking everything that's in your control, which is your preparation, like you said, and being completely disciplined to it. And, and that goes back to eliminating those distractions, not eliminating, I'd say managing them because they never go away. And, when you take more pride in your discipline than you do even care about winning and losing, that's when you start to become a really dangerous athlete. Because one, you become fearless because you don't, you stop worrying about winning and losing and you're completely focused on your, on the things that are in your control, your preparation and the task at hand. When you are, when you become that guy, that's when you become extremely dangerous as an athlete in my personal opinion. And that's exactly what, that's exactly what was that step for me after my sophomore year was I don't care if I would win or lose a wrestling match again in my life because this sucked. Like, I won a national title, but I don't even feel, I don't feel like I can even enjoy it 100% like if I would have done it a different way. I'm going to be a guy that is disciplined to everything in his control. And I'm going to maximize that because at the end of the day, my biggest, one of my biggest fears is living with regret and I can live my life peacefully. I can go to bed peacefully at night. If I knew, if I know that I did everything in my control to put myself in a position to win, the things that keep me up at night are the things where I got caught up in all the BS that life brings and it affected my preparation and things in my control. So that was that, that was the next piece for sure that made me a much more dangerous athlete than I was before. Um, I like that. I'm, I'll remember that discipline over motivation and taking more pride in that. That's, that's exactly right because, I mean, anytime, you know, I feel like we're in the era of motivation right now. There's all kinds of stuff out there, whether it's like a David Goggins type guy or, or whatever it is. There's, you know, across social media, there's these little motivational boosts and they do work for a short time, but that long-standing success. I mean, to be a, a two-time Division One national champ like you were, that takes an unreal level of discipline for a long, long time. Um, and so that's that's definitely going to be something that sticks with me. And I know we're kind of winding down here, but I'd love just to talk a little bit on, you know, what was, I guess, how did your purpose change once you became a coach? Because that had to be a pretty big jump from being uh, just solely focused on preparing yourself versus now, you're uh, you're helping coach uh, the Cornell team. So how did that how did that shift for you? Your why? Well, you you you, you asked the right questions, man. I'm I'm impressed. I uh, you know I didn't know if we'd get into that part on this podcast, but it um, you you see it clearly. So that's a huge step. That that and that's a step where it gets really fuzzy and really actually tough for athletes that have, have had success that I've lived the way that I decided to live after my sophomore year because you go right from living pretty selfishly, in my opinion, which is somewhat necessary uh, to do in order to be successful, right? You have to be a little selfish into a job that is completely selfless. And I really struggled with that my first year out. And, and keep in mind, I, my little brother, my younger brother, I shouldn't say little anymore, but my younger brother, uh, was coming into the same school in the same weight class and replacing me. And all the time I was his coach. And there's a whole other set of bag of things that brings when you coach your brother and you coach your family. And, um, and I was young and I was an idiot. And my purpose hadn't shifted from that selfishness. And that first year, I really, I, I, I was not the coach that I needed to be. I wasn't, I wasn't focused on got completely taking myself and putting it into all these guys. I was still caught in my own little world. 
I just lost my third national title. Probably would have won the Hodge and all this stuff. And I still feel sorry for myself about all those things instead of really embracing this, this opportunity as a young coach. And that was, this is, this is the thing that has, um, this is the biggest lesson that I learned in my life and something that I'm going to take to my grave with me is what being, uh, going from an athlete to coach. And my brother really made me confronted in myself. Uh, after his freshman year, we sat at a coffee shop with Cowstown Bagels and sat down with him. And I'm thinking, you know, he just became all American. Life's pretty good. You know, he's happy and everything. And, uh, he looked at me and said, dude, I love you more than anything. Uh, you're my brother, someone I've looked up to. Um, but you made this year a lot harder for me than it should have been. And I was like, <laughs> first I was really angry. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I mean, this year harder than it should have been. And then I realized he's right. Did you, you know, have any I've idea, been, though, at this point in time? Or is this kind of like now where you're realizing you know, shit? I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm a smart enough guy to know that I made some mistakes, definitely made some mistakes. Um, and, but I wasn't, I wasn't being accountable to, you know, made the mistakes and I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, right. It's, it's, I'm not an arrogant guy, but like, you know, in my little mind, like I was still, I was still trying to feed off like being a you know, wrestler and not transitioning into a more humble lifestyle, which is way better than big, uh, Gave me the lesson. Gave me the coach, and I I realized in my in, in my life my purpose. That, like I said, now now this purpose I'm taking with me to grave, um, because I've seen what it's done for me and how it's affected my life in such a positive way. You take yourself, no matter what you're doing, when you get done and when you start your career. I don't care if you're an entrepreneur, you're an engineer you're a wrestling coach, whatever you're doing, I think the key to happiness is living your life this way, and that is completely investing yourself into other people. Um, I live my life now, and thanks to Max for helping me confront this in me, um, investing into others. And it's made me a much better person, uh, a better man, a better boyfriend, a better uh, son, a better brother. Um, and it's really my life way more and it's really what defines happiness. We all have a choice. Um, to live selfishly or unselfishly. The happiest people in my life that I know um, live unselfishly. And that's because as they're completely investing themselves in other people, they create an environment, a very positive environment around them that just feeds back into them ultimately. And, uh, that's, and that's what I stick to every day I wake up. That's what I stick to. Uh, and it's something that's changed me for the better. That's a, it's changing, 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 changing who I am. That's amazing um, because it's uh, sometimes it's a it's tough to to let the machismo go down, let the ego go down because then you feel like man, like my identity as like this guy who is a, is an alpha male wrestler who does everything right, like that's all gone now. And so it's that had to be an incredible transition to go through that. Yeah, and, you, uh, you, you, yeah, you attach your identity to things that don't matter at the end of the day. Because 30 years from now, there's going to be, there's going to be tons of, tons of gay beans. And even better. You know, like, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it's something to be proud of, don't get me wrong. Like, if you, you know, the things that you win and accomplish in college, I think that's something that you should be super proud of. But it's not something that you should ever let define who you are. I, it, it's not like, it's not, 
you don't walk in a room and, I, and I'm like Gabe Dean, the two-time national champ. You know, I'm walking into a room and I'm like, I'm walking into a room and like, you know, one, three-fourths of people don't even know who I am. The other fourth uh, knows who I am, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, like, I used to, you know, you, you walk in and you're living, like, on the selfish side. You expect people to come up to you. You walk in the room and you're investing yourself in others. You start completely walking up to every single person. You want to get to know them. You want to get to know their story, what fueled them. You know, similarly, you have people on your podcast. I'm very interested in people as well. I love it. And, and, and ever since I've shifted my mindset, I've met some amazing people, people that are just incredible. Yeah. And I, uh, and nothing, every person's story, it doesn't matter who they are. It, their story's not any not any worse than mine or not any better than mine, and it's just like we're we're all given this opportunity, this this chance to live in this this amazing world that we live in, um, and build these incredible lives. And it's you get a choice on what kind of life you want to live. And I have just found that when you live unselfishly and you live with that kind of purpose, it's definitely by far the best way to live, which athletes get caught in that, that, that you know, because a lot of these all-world athletes and everything, like, life revolves around them a lot. But they realize, they, they don't really realize how much opportunity they have to make the world and impact the world in a better place, given the platform that they've been put on with all the things they've accomplished. If they were to just shift to that purpose, to that mindset, they don't know what kind of impact they would have on these young men and young people and people that look up to them and, and all these kind of things when they, they speak and they talk to them because it's a guy that's accomplished so much comes up to you and says, and is more interested in you than you are even interested in that you, that you are even interested in him. Mm -hmm. That leaves a really like incredible impression on you. And that, you know, that, that, that leaves like this. You're like, wow, you know, uh, I'm just going to throw out an example. I don't even know if it's true, but wow, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers is more interested in getting to know me than I was even interested in getting to know him. Right. And I just, you know, I, I, you know, like it's, they have this opportunity to make the world a better place by investing themselves in people. And some do. Um, and some don't because they get caught up in that that selfish lifestyle that made them successful athlete. Do you think it's possible for so, a like an like an ultra winner like a uh, like anyone who we look up to? I mean, um, let's just take for example Kyle Dake. Like, do you think it's possible for someone to be that good as an individual but still live the selfish selfless lifestyle? Yeah, I do. Okay. I mean, I think I think there's things that. I think there's things that Kyle has to do in order to be successful. And like, you know, he can't be in the room wrestling four individuals a day and, you know, working <laughs> out with guys and, and doing things like that. But do I think it's possible? I don't think, I think that lifestyle is always possible. I, I, I don't believe in a very selfish lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe there's times in your life that you need to be selfish and there's times in Kyle's life that he does need to be selfish. Um, but on a daily basis, uh, no, I, I think you should, I think it's definitely possible to be a very unselfish person that invests themselves into others um, at the same time as being a successful athlete. I think you just have to be really disciplined to picking the right moments on where you have to be selfish and where you can be unselfish. It seems like a more uh, peaceful way to live, for sure. You kind of take this burden off of you, um, and it's actually pretty easy because when you talk to someone, you just ask about things they're interested in and you learn a lot about them from that, no matter who it is. Even if it's like an Uber driver, you know, if you see something in their car hanging. That's exactly it. You know? That's exactly it. I've learned yeah, a lot no, from Uber like, drivers. You don't even know who the people you're going to meet. You sit down with people next to people on planes. You get in taxis. You don't know the kind of people that you're going to meet. You meet some really interesting people and that forever make a lasting impact on you. I, uh, I just, it's, it's incredible, you know, the things that your world opens up to when you stop living in the little selfish world that you're in and you just, you make people the main priority instead of yourself. And coaching-wise, you know, it's just guys gravitate towards you because they know that they're, you're there for them. 
there's nothing else that matters to you other than them. And it's a really powerful thing. It really is. Uh, if, if you decide to live your life that way, it's tough at first, especially if you're coming off of, you know, being an incredible athlete. But once you embrace it, you never look back. It's just that embracing part that takes a little while. Absolutely, man. I think that's a good way to to sign off. And the last thing we always ask is, you know, how did the sport change your life? You've hit on a couple things, such as, uh, you know, humility, and then you know being able to persevere. But if you if you look back and you tell someone, "Hey, this is why I wrestled," like what would you say? I wrestled because I knew at the end of the day it was going to make me a better man, and um, the things that the sport makes you confront at a young on a young age um and the choices you have to make opportunity that it brings um to become a better person uh i i didn't wrestle um at the end of the day i didn't wrestle you know to become a two to, to win national titles and become an all-american um i wrestled because of the relationships that it brought into my life the role models that it brought into my life and the things that it taught me and um and that's why Gabe Dean, you're a bad man. This was a great conversation, my friend. I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Where was we're, all mine, <laughs> dude. I didn't know where we were gonna take it, but hopefully, this is the first of of many, my friend. I, I know the season's getting started here, so good luck to you, and thank you again for your time, sir. Hey, thank you. You asked a great question. I um, I had I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it, man. Likewise. And all great things must come to an end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, give us a review, give us a rating, and share this with your friends. It would mean the world to us. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life.